Welcome, everyone, to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 22 of the 2022 podcast series, where we take a look at the draft-eligible prospects and get you ready for the NFL draft, which is right around the corner. April 28th, Las Vegas, Nevada. It's it's a spectacle unlike any other, and it's going to be there on Thursday, prime time. Roger Goodell steps up to the mic, announces that the Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock, and it's go time. First round, prime time. Then you have the second and third rounds on the 29th, Friday. And then day three, that's really where teams make or break their draft season is on that third day, Saturday, April 30th. A lot of discussion into what we can expect coming up for the draft. Now we have just a few days left, so we're going to go fast and furious with podcasts. And what we're talking about here is really taking a look at each position group. I've already announced my mock draft over the last uh, couple of podcasts, mock three-round three, three mock draft. I actually have a seven-round mock draft in the next day or two that I want to go ahead and release on the readyforthedraft.com website. And we'll be breaking that down a little bit further as we get closer to April 28th. But right now what I want to do is really do more of a positional breakdown. Take a look at each of the positions, talk about who do we expect on each day of the draft to come off the board. And really what we're going to do is we're going to divide it up into offense and defense. We'll have three podcasts on offense, so that'll be the quarterbacks and running backs today. Tomorrow we'll cover the wide receivers and tight ends. And then the next day we'll talk about the offensive line. So that's going to be talking about not only the tackles, but the interior linemen at the guard and center positions. From there, we'll move to the defensive side of the football. We'll talk about the edge rushers and D-line, the linebackers, and we'll close it out with the defensive backs. And of course, we'll also sprinkle in the specialists there um, on that final six podcast. So six podcasts in six days may take a break for just one day, and then we'll go heavy with my final projections for the draft. So we've got a lot to cover. So let's go ahead and jump right into things. We'll talk about this quarterback position. And, and look, this quarterback draft class, and even the casual football fan knows that this is not a very deep quarterback class. And really, if you look at last year's draft class, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones all taken in the top 15 picks. And if you look at this draft class, all of these guys would fall in somewhere behind Mac Jones. So these guys that we're talking about as potential first-round picks likely would be day two guys at best in last year's draft. But here's the thing. When you're talking about the quarterback position, that's the premium position, and you're really looking for for that, that next quarterback, and a lot of times you don't have the luxury of saying, we'll wait until next year. And we know that next year's draft class headed by C.J. Stroud and uh, Bryce Young. You know that, That's really the, the draft class that everyone's looking forward to. There are a lot of other guys out there. Phil Dracovic is another name that comes to mind as a guy that's going to be out there. And man, you know, it just it reminds me of that, that 2011 draft. After Cam Newton, you know, there, there was a scram- mad scramble for, for that quarterback. And so you had Jake Locker. I thought that was a reach there at eight for the Titans. Um, you know, and then Blaine Gabbert there at 10. Christian Ponder should have been a day two pick, was taken there at number 12 overall by the Vikings. So, you know, there are teams that have a history of reaching for quarterbacks because really that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to target, uh, you know, a, a guy that can end up leading their franchise. And, you know, that's really going to be the, the, the difficult thing. And really, you know, but now that I think about it, 
that same draft class last year also had Davis Mills, who's leading the Texans this year. And Davis Mills was taken in round number three of last year's draft. And I'll, I'll tell you what, the way that Davis Mills, kind of an up and down season, but you know, it, it, you'd be hard pressed to, to find any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft class who you'd take ahead of Davis Mills really at this point. Um, but I think going into the draft last year, you probably have a couple of guys that you would have taken ahead of him probably on um, you know, in the second round. You only had Kyle Trask taken in round two a season ago. You'd probably sprinkle in Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett possibly. Um, so the quarterback draft class, really not very strong. And when we look at it, we talk about really top to bottom. After you get past the first six quarterbacks, there's a huge drop-off. So that's the other thing. When you're talking about it, you're going to see quarterbacks, I think, taken a little bit sooner than you would expect because not only there's a need for that quarterback spot, but also because there's just a huge drop-off after that. You know, I only have four quarterbacks that are actually going to be coming off the board on, uh, on day number three. So when we look at this quarterback draft class, who's going to be the first quarterback taken? You know, and that's really the biggest question mark, right? And I think the first quarterback, uh, there's a lot of talk about Detroit going with quarterback at number two overall. Look, if they did that, they already have Jared Goff. They need to address the defense. You know, if they took Ahmad Gardner or uh, you know Kyle Hamilton to address the defense, I, I'd be okay with that, address that secondary. Trayvon Walker feels like the likely scenario. You know, if Aiden Hutchinson doesn't go number one overall, then that's going to be their guy. But I, I think all indications are Jacksonville is going to take Hutchinson, get a guy that's really going to lead that defense and be that that, that guy that's going to galvanize the, the defensive side of the football, much like Trevor Lawrence is going to be doing on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and he paired nicely with Josh Allen. You have Trayvon Walker, number two. Uh, will the Lions take a quarterback in this draft? I think they will, but it won't be with that number two overall pick. They could use 32 or 34 uh, to take a quarterback, and we'll talk about that here in a second. So who's the next team that's really going to be looking at that quarterback spot? The Giants, they still have Daniel Jones. I, I don't know that uh, you know Joe Schoen wants to go ahead and, and do that, pull the trigger just yet. Um, you know, I, I think the Giants probably are sitting in a good position to potentially be in that C.J. Uh, Stroud market, um, you know, just depending on how everything goes. But I think they can really shore up be smart, take a you know an offensive lineman and either an edge rusher or a corner safety uh, with that number seven pick. So I don't see it, see it being the Giants. Carolina is really that first team. Now you've got Scott Fitterer there, the, the GM. He may be looking at it from the standpoint of you know they can go after Baker Mayfield and, and trade for him. Likely not going to be happening before the draft. We already know that that Robbie Anderson has come out in, in the social media and said that he doesn't you know have a, a vote of confidence for for Baker Mayfield doesn't really want to see uh, them trade for him um, so really what I think Carolina is still weighing their options are they gonna you know are they satisfied with going after Baker Mayfield with that fifth year option um, you know and let him play that that season out and see if ultimately he can recover from that that shoulder surgery because look a 2020 season was a decent season and I think everyone was expecting him to build upon that in 2021. And then he has that, that shoulder injury. It was a non-throwing shoulder, uh, but really that affected his game from from that point forward. Had that off-season surgery. So let's see what happens with, with Baker Mayfield there with Carolina. But you know, if, if you do that with, with Baker, you still have Sam Darnold on the roster. I, I think Sam Darnold ultimately you know, is going to end up being a casualty at some point. Do you go Charles Cross at number six? 
or do you end up targeting a quarterback? And here's here's the thing. If Baker Mayfield is ultimately going to be their guy, Malik Willis will be the pick there for Carolina. Because then what you have is you have Baker Mayfield with, with Malik Willis, who can kind of be that understudy, learn from Baker a little bit, learn that offense, because that's really what Malik Willis needs. This is a guy who has all the talent in the world. Uh, you, you see the, the elusiveness in the pocket. You see the cannon for an arm. Uh, this is a guy, you know, he's not built like, uh, like Kyler Murray or... Um, you know, Lamar Jackson. This is more of a Jalen Hurts type of runner. Uh, you know, very physical, uh, likes to, to, to really light guys up. He was second in the FBS among quarterbacks running the football. Um, you know, I think cutting down on some of the decision making, but here's the thing. He was playing behind virtually the, the, the worst offensive line in, in FBS there for, for the Liberty Flames. Uh, no offense to that offensive line, but it was just god awful. And so, you know, he was running for his life a lot of times, but, you know, you got to see uh, some of that creativity. You got to see what he could do improvising, um, you know, when he was outside the pocket, you know, off script, um, you know, and being able under pressure, you know, can he make those decisions? Can he come off the, the primary receiver, go to a second or third, third read? And he was able to do that. And, and so I think there's a lot of, a lot to work with there with Malik Willis, but he's not ready to go day one. If, Baker Mayfield is not in the cards and they're looking to target a quarterback that's likely going to end up being their starter, then Kenny Pickett's the guy. And here's the thing. Matt Rule has a history of bringing in guys that he's familiar with, you know, from, uh, you know, Hassan Reddick to Matt Ioannidis, most recently, Robbie Anderson, guys that he's coached, you know, whether it was at Temple or at Baylor, Bravion Roy. Uh, So he knows Kenny Pickett. He recruited him there, um, you know, at Temple. Ultimately, went to Pitt, but he knows Kenny Pickett. Um, they spent a lot of time with him, and it, it just didn't makes a lot of sense. This is a guy who, you know, leaps and bounds improvement under Mark Whipple in that offense there for Pitt. Uh, a lot of people give him a hard time for uh, the the inability to to throw with anticipation. I saw that a lot with the deep ball. He was throwing guys open, you know, and ultimately throwing to a spot before the receiver was out of the break, leading that receiver away from the defender, uh, you know, especially when you had had these posts and, and and post corners and leading that that receiver away from the defender, dropping it in over the shoulder. Now, those were things that you saw from Kenny Pickett. Yes, he he did have happy feet in the pocket. Yes, he did struggle at times with with some of those reads uh, because look. You know, I think there are, you know, Baker Mayfield ran into that situation too, uh, where he felt pressure that really wasn't there and he was escaping the pocket and trying to throw on the run. And that's where Kenny Pickett gets into trouble with his lack of overall arm strength. You know, he, he, he has adequate arm strength, but it's not top notch. And that's the thing that, you know, with Mac Jones, you know, a season ago, you know, Mac didn't have the greatest arm strength, but what he had was that anticipation. And, you know, the ability to process things in front of him and be able to, uh, you know, throw the ball well before the receiver was out of a break, making sure that he's putting it where that receiver needs to be. And that receiver is going to end up making that making that play. And a lot of times it was just pinpoint accuracy, uh, fitting it into a tight window. Kenny Pickett isn't always able to do that. And that's where I think he'll struggle at the next level. That's why ultimately, if I were, were a GM here, I think if I'm Carolina, I'm trading down if ultimately I'm taking one of these quarterbacks or I'm taking Charles Cross. Charles Cross at six. If I'm Atlanta, I'm taking Jermaine Johnson at eight. And 
I've got a got an edge rusher, you know, from Atlanta. Atlanta, look, 18 sacks a season ago, abysmal pass rush, uh, you know. And with Carolina, you've got the rest of the line shored up. Uh, the only thing that you need is a left tackle, and you know, ultimately, you'd be able to get that with Charles Cross coming in there. Um, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. Ultimately, you know, Malik Willis likely, you know, Pitt. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. Pittsburgh makes a lot of sense for for Malik Willis. I think uh, you know the Saints make a lot of sense for Kenny Pickett. I'm looking at Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill just the the the, the play that was just atrocious uh, down the stretch in the playoffs. You know, you you really was exposed without Derrick Henry, and so that down the stretch that that that's those struggles. Ultimately, you could potentially see Kenny Pickett come off the board there, and then obviously you get into the Lions. Um, so I, I think ultimately, at the end of the day, Atlanta, you have Marcus Mariota. You don't have to take a quarterback. But Malik Willis is from the Atlanta area, went to high school uh, you know, not too far away. Um, I, I think in terms of galvanizing that fan base, you need a guy to rally around. You just traded away Matty Ice, the the, the all-time leading passer there. Um, you know, basically, you know, one of the best players of all time, uh, iconic uh, there for for the Falcons. You know, it's like trading away, you know, your just your your franchise essentially. And so, you need to really get a guy in there that team that, that the fan base can get excited about. And yes, you need receivers. You know, Calvin Calvin Ridley. We don't know when he's going to be back. And, uh, you know, really your top receiver at this point is, is Alameda Zacchaeus. You need receivers. You also need edge rushers. And so taking a quarterback in the first round doesn't necessarily make sense. But I, I think looking at Malik Willis and what Malik Willis brings to the table, you know, I, it's hard not to ultimately look at it and say that's, that's who Atlanta is going to go with is, is Malik and ultimately Marcus Mariota. You know, I see, you know, Arthur Smith jumped on him almost right away. You know, feels like a bridge quarterback to me. We get Malik Willis in here, galvanize the fan base. And, you know, we're talking about Malik Willis leading the Falcons in, into 2023 and beyond. So, you know, I, I've mentioned some of the other quarter or some of the other teams where we could potentially see a quarterback come off the board. Matt Corral. Um, is probably number three in terms of the quarterbacks right now. Um, you know, when I look at him, you know, this is a guy. Look, he, he's a he's a gunslinger, man. He, you know, I thought he really improved his game uh, under Lane Kiffin. And yes, I know Lane Kiffin's offense is really quarterback friendly. Doesn't have to process a lot. You know, basically grip it and rip it. Um, you know, a lot of times you have a lot of those those crossing routes and being able to throw guys open. Um, but what I love about Matt Corral is he does go through his progressions. You see that uh, the ability to to survey the field. Um, he does have a, a a strong arm, really a quick release, can fit the ball into a tight window. Um, you know, I like the decision making. I worry about the durability. That's one of the big things that I worry about for him. Um, I don't worry about so much the the, the turnovers uh, anymore. That's that was. One of the things a season ago, a lot of the decision making, he rushed himself quite a bit, and uh, he's cut down on those those uh, those poor decisions. You know, on the opposite end, you've got Kenny Pickett. You know, those smaller hands that everyone was talking about. You know, you remember that conversation. Uh, you know, I think what eight and five eighths inches is what we've we've settled on now with his hands. Um, Twenty six fumbles in his career. So I mean, that's another thing with Kenny Pickett that you you have as a downside. But I'm looking at Matt Corral. If the Saints decide they want another quarterback, because you know, frankly, 
the health of Jameis Winston. They're, they're worried about that. They, they traded with the Eagles to get another pick. They can get an offensive lineman to replace uh, Teron Armstead. And then they get a quarterback after that. They also need a receiver. So there's a chance that they could end up targeting a guy like, like Chris Olave with their second pick, possibly even Traylon Burks. But they could go quarterback. And I think Matt Corral will be right in that mix. I think Pittsburgh is another great fit for Matt Corral because, look, they've got Mitchell Trubisky. And Mitchell Trubisky signed a two-year deal. We know that he's going to likely be the starter, but he also feels like a, 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 a you know a stopgap, a bridge quarterback. Um, you, know, you also have Mason Rudolph on the roster. Look, he's you know, auditioned for the starting job, and uh, he's not the long-term answer. You know, we know this. So... I think Pittsburgh makes a lot of sense. And then again, Tennessee, like I said, and then the Lions sitting there at 32 or, or 34. Right now with my mock draft, I have them going to Pittsburgh. So right now we've got three quarterbacks in round one. Desmond Ritter, to me, is interesting because I think Indy, without a, a first-round pick, they could stay put at, I believe it's 42, and still end up landing Desmond Ritter in round number two and be just fine. Um, and so I, I think that's likely what's going to happen. But there's another team that that I'm targeting, and I have them taking Desmond Ritter in round number one. And it's basically I'm just kind of expecting Tennessee to either trade down, possibly look to trade back up into you know either into the end of round one, possibly round two. Shoot, they could even use that 26 overall pick and take Desmond Ritter. You know, I, I think with what Ritter has been able to do. He's an interesting guy. He's an interesting study. This is a guy early on in, in the game. He, he makes some errant throws. You need to clean up the mechanics, the footwork. Not always, uh, you know, stepping to the target. Sometimes he's stepping into the bucket. He's sailing, sailing passes. Uh, you know, doesn't always read the field. I think that was one of the things that you saw against Alabama. They really uh, just fooled him. And so I think that's one of the things against some of these more sophisticated defenses, being able to understand what he's seeing. But there's a lot to like as well. He's got a big arm, one of the bigger arms in this draft class. You know, ran a 4-5-140. You know, he reminds you a lot of Marcus Mariota in that way. Just eats up a lot of yards very quickly. You just you blink and the guy's gone for 30 yards. You know, he led that Cincinnati program. Uh, you know, year after year they got better and better. You know, with him at the helm. Uh, you know, he and Luke Fickle really put Cincinnati on the map. And, and so I, I think that leadership ability. You know, he's a guy that teams can rally around. He's also a you know very mature. He's a family guy. Um, you know, has a uh, has a child. You know, and, and I believe he's married. And, and so it, it just makes a lot of sense with Desmond Ritter. You know, either late one, early two, either to the Colts or Tennessee. Those are the two teams that I think make the most sense right now for him. So that would be four quarterbacks in round number one. And, uh, you know, if you're scoring at home, the last time that happened was, well, 2020 uh, with Burrow, Tua, Herbert, and Love. And so, you you know, Pickett, Willis, Corral, Ritter doesn't really get you excited. And, and that's why I think ultimately what you're going to end up seeing is Pickett and Willis in round one. Corral uh, probably goes to the Lions, Ritter to, uh, to Indy, and then Sam Howell possibly to Tennessee. I think that's ultimately what's going to end up happening. Um... You know, if, if I were scoring at home, you know, if you look at my mock draft right now, I still have uh, the four quarterbacks in round one, just kind of trying to really swing for the fences when it comes to more or less identifying the teams for the quarterbacks more than anything else. Uh, but Sam Howell, look, this is a guy I think he throws the prettiest deep ball. You know, and, and here's the thing. He, he suffered from 
really what happened to Josh Allen. Uh, you know, Josh Allen, after his, his sophomore year there at Wyoming, he lost his, you know, the Wyoming's all-time leading rusher in, in Brian Hill. He, he lost, uh, you know, his, his leading receivers. Uh, one of those, Tanner Gentry, played with the Bears. Uh, lost his tight end, Jacob Hollister, uh, played with the Patriots, and I believe with Seattle as well. Um, and so he had to build that chemistry with a new receiving core. Sam Howell, the exact same thing. Two running backs, not just one, but two. Javante Williams and Michael Carter. You're talking about Daz Newsom and Deami Brown, so he had to build chemistry with a with a really a new receiving core. You know, these were guys, you know, Josh Downs and uh, Antoine Green. They were guys that were in that receiving core a season ago, but he didn't really have to build as much chemistry with those guys because, frankly, he relied on Newsom and uh, relied on Brown a lot more, relied on those running backs as well. So it, it struggles when, you know, at times, if you're trying to build that chemistry. Uh, Sam Howell, to me, you know, you, you look at him, he, because of the, the struggles there throwing the football, we got to see what he could do with his legs. And this was a guy who, you know, amped things up, running the football. You could see his ability to actually make some plays in the open field, a lot more athletic that people will give him credit for. He looks kind of like a Baker Mayfield type, you know, a little a bigger Baker Mayfield. But then when you watch him run, you know, he runs uh, with, with a lot more elusiveness than Baker does. And, and so I, I think at the end of the day, when I look at Sam Howell, to me, he feels like a fit for the Lions. So if we do have four quarterbacks go off the board in round one, then I'm looking at Sam Howell coming off the board in round two to the Lions there at 34 overall. Um, otherwise, again, Pickett, um, ends up going to, let's say, uh, New Orleans, Willis to Pittsburgh, and then Corral uh, on on day two goes to the Lions, Ritter to the Colts, Howell to Tennessee, and then you've got Carson Strong, who's kind of the wild card. You know, and Carson Strong in my current mock draft, uh, I have him going to the Saints because the Saints again they need a quarterback so that's really what can happen there is I've got the Saints taking their offensive tackle to replace Teron Armstead and, and Trevor Penning then I have them taking a receiver after that whether it's Traylon Burks or Chris Olave I've kind of gone back and forth there possibly even Jamison Williams I know he's he's moving up boards because you know he, he's healing a lot quicker he's ahead of schedule with that ACL tear so you know you could potentially see Jamison Williams into that mix as well um and then they could wait until round three to ultimately target Carson Strong. You know, I, I think Carson Strong as well. You could have him go into the Colts. You know, I think that's the other fit. Um, you know, have him learn behind Matty Matty Ice um, for for a year or two before he ends up taking the reins. You know, look, Carson Strong. You know, he battled the the, the knee injuries and he had that knee brace, and that's really people were saying, well, he's not that mobile. He's a lot more mobile than people give him credit for. Um, I think he's got one of the bigger arms as well. You know, you saw the deep ball that he was throwing there at the combine. He's a guy to me that, um, you know, just the, the arm arm strength is what jumps out. You know, I think this is a guy though. Uh, he, he struggles a little bit with 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 manipulating that pocket. I think he looks a little stiff when he does that. Can he take off and run? I think he can, but he does look stiff. And that's really the biggest concern is, you know, that pocket presence. Is he going to be a guy that's going to be able to make plays with his legs? You know, if you have to go off off schedule, um, is he going to be able to make those plays time and time again? I think he's capable of it. I think we saw that, you know, with that trio there with him and, and Romeo Dubs and uh, Cole Tucker there with the Wolfpack. But, you know, I, I think it, there's there's just not enough there 
for him to come high, you know, come off the board higher than round number three. You know, I think when you look at you know Jacob Eason and, and where he ultimately came off the board, you know, I, I think it feels feels similar to to ultimately Jacob Eason. Though, you know, that was a quarterback who had a, a ton of uh, ton of arm strength, right? And so you were expecting to see that. And ultimately, he went off the board uh, in round number four, ultimately to the Colts uh, in the, that 2020 draft. And so there's a chance that Carson Strong, you know, we may not have a quarterback come off the board in round number three. And here's what's interesting. When you look at some of the parallels here to that 2020 draft, I mentioned four quarterbacks in round one. You could potentially see that. Round number two, you have one quarterback come off the board. That was Jalen Hurts. And then in round four, you ultimately see Carson Strong come off the board. So it could potentially happen uh, to where this somewhat mirrors that that draft class a little bit. Um, Granted, you know the, the the talent is is not on the same level. I'm talking more about just sheer numbers more than anything else. Um, on day three, um, you know this is where it gets kind of confusing and, and really you know where are these quarterbacks going to come off the board? Uh, Bailey Zappi out of out of Western Kentucky, the guy who just set all kinds of records there at Houston Baptist, went crazy over 5,000 yards there. And Tyson Helton's offense at Western Kentucky. I think Bailey Zappi is is a quarterback who uh, is going to play in the league a long time as a as a backup. I think he'll end up being a career backup, but he'll be a solid solid backup. Uh, six foot two fifteen. Um, where could I see him going? I've got him coming off the board in round number five. Um, you know, I, I think there's, he he could easily be off the board in round six. But I'm ultimately targeting him for round five, and, and I, really it's. You know, kind of going back and forth. You know, really, which of these teams is not going to target a quarterback? And uh, I have them actually going to the Saints. I said that that Carson Strong to the Saints. I changed it. He's going to the Colts, and in this scenario, and I have the Saints ultimately taking Bailey Zappi because I think you know when you look at the Saints, if they go offensive tackle and they go receiver, as I currently have in my mock draft, and I I know I said that Kenny Pickett could potentially go to the Saints if they don't go court if they do decide to go quarterback in round one but they can wait they get Bailey Zappi they get a serviceable backup there for uh, Jameis Winston and then depending on what happens you get a better quarterback class in 2023 and you can really target a quarterback then so there are some options there for the the New Orleans Saints and uh, you know I think Bailey Zappi will be the first quarterback taken in uh you know, on day three. Then you get to the quarterbacks um, after that, and I'm looking at, at Cole Kelly as the next quarterback. You know, 6'7", 249 pounds. This is a big dude, huge arm, um, over 5,100 yards passing this past year, four touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Three of those were picks against uh, James Madison, a, a guy who has over 10,000 yards in, in his career. Um, you know, a guy who, look, he, he's, you know, MVP of uh, a postseason uh, all-star games and and a guy who look you know he looked effortless uh, with his delivery throwing the football down the field uh, you know <laughs> he looked pretty casual out there he was chewing gum and and, and having a good time out there and uh, so when I look at him um, you know Seattle depending on what they do at quarterback they're talking about well you know we, we think Drew Locke's going to be our guy and we think that uh, Geno Smith has the potential to be you know a starter as well. Could they end up going quarterback at nine? Possibly. You know, if Malik Willis is there, I think they could do that. Right now, I have them targeting Charles Cross because they do need a tackle. Because look, Dwayne Brown is a free agent still, um, so they need to address that tackle position for sure. Um, 
so they, they could wait. They could end up taking Sam Howell in round two. I actually have them taking Cole Kelly here in, in round number seven because, frankly, you know the Seattle, if, if they roll the dice, they go with, uh, with Drew Locke and Geno Smith for the time being. They can get another quarterback in there kind of as, a, as that number three guy and ultimately roll the dice and you know see what where they're at they could potentially go after baker mayfield uh, jimmy garoppolo is another option um i just don't know that this is the draft class the, the draft class to target a quarterback at number nine if you're seattle you know pete carroll is not looking for a, a complete rebuild and so I, I think this might be a year that they press pause on that they go out you know they keep drew lock and uh, ultimately target a quarterback later on um, i think that makes the most sense so Jack Cohn out of Notre Dame, you know, I, I thought his career at Wisconsin, he struggled mightily there. And uh, look, he, he moved, you know, 6'3", 218 pounds, uh, ultimately stepped in there at Notre Dame and looks like a guy who, you know, he does a lot of things, you know, he's solid, doesn't do anything great, but he's just, he's solid. He's a solid quarterback. You know, I thought he read the, read the field a lot better there for the Irish, spread the ball around a little bit, making some uh, nice precision throws, uh, you know, decent arm strength as well. I think this is a guy, again, could be a career backup. I'm looking at Buffalo at 231, um, and I can see Jack Cohn going in there in Buffalo as a backup to uh, Josh Allen. And, uh, you know, learn from a guy who's had all kinds of success there. They also have Case Keenum, another veteran that that he can ultimately learn from. But I think Jack Cohn is a guy that I think you know you could see making a spot start here or there, but ultimately being a, a career backup. And I think you know it just it makes a lot of sense. And then EJ Perry out of Brown, 6'2", 211 pounds, another guy who's who's very athletic at the quarterback position. We saw that. At the combine, runs a 4.6540, over 3,000 yards passing, uh, you know, 66.5% completion percentage, um, you know, 23 touchdowns. The 14 interceptions is a bit of a concern. 47 touchdowns and 27 interceptions in his career, so he's got to cut down on, on those you know, those mistakes. Uh, you know, a lot of interceptions racked up, but look, you know, 727 yards on the ground, eight touchdowns. Um, you know, so I, you you love the the athleticism coming from from EJ Perry. I think Dallas desperate for a uh, a backup, so I can see Dallas doing that. But I'm also looking at the Rams, uh, and that's a team that I think could end up targeting uh, you know EJ there in round number uh, round number seven. You look at John Wolford, you have Bryce Perkins. Man, if Matthew Stafford goes down, you're going to need to target a quarterback. And any of these these guys here on day three could end up going to the Rams. I think EJ Perry has some of that athleticism um, that will bring a different dynamic. So I've got the Rams taking them at, at 238 overall. So if you're scoring at home, that's a t- total of 10 quarterbacks. And I think ultimately there will be six quarterbacks that come off the board in the first two days of the draft. Pickett, Willis, Corral, Ritter, Howell, and Strong. And then Zappi, Kelly, Cohn, and Perry coming off the board on day three of the draft. Now, 10 doesn't sound like a lot of quarterbacks. We know this isn't a deep quarterback class. Did you know that after we had five quarterbacks taken in last year's draft in the first 15 picks, we only had five quarterbacks taken the rest of the draft combined? You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy when you think about that. But a season ago, you just had Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond, Davis Mills, Ian Book, Sam Ellinger come off the board. So, 
it's not out of the realm of possibility that we can only see 10 quarterbacks taken. The other two quarterbacks that I could really see come off the board would be Brock Purdy of Iowa State. You know, I just, for me with, with Brock Purdy, I worry about the arm strength. I worry about some of the decision making. Um, man, the guy's a gamer. He, he's a guy that I think will get in with a with an NFL team, you know, as a as a priority free agent, and could end up sticking because look, you know, he's he's a tough dude. You know, he's a pretty intelligent guy. Um, Four year starter there with the with the Cyclones, but man, there, there's a lot to his game that needs to be cleaned up. And then Skylar Thompson there out of K State. Uh, athletic guy, playmaker with his legs, arm strength is lacking. Um, you know, I think those are two guys that could end up making a roster more than likely on a practice squad, um, but they're both going to be um, undrafted free agents. I just don't see either of those guys ultimately getting drafted. So that's the quarterback position. Now we take a look at the running backs. And you know, I, I know when you, you target running backs, a lot of times you're talking about running backs being taken in round number one. And, uh, you know, if you go back the last five years, we had at least one court, one running back taken in, in each of those drafts. So, you know, 2017, we had, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, and Dalvin Cook. In, in 2018, then it was Saquon Barkley, Rashad Penny, and Sony Michelle. And then you get into 2019. Josh Jacobs was your lone running back taken in round number one. You know, that was a draft class though, that saw Miles Sanders and Daryl Henderson and David Montgomery and Devin Single, uh, Singletary and Damian Harris all taken uh, in, in on day two of that draft. Uh, you know, 2020 just Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but again another draft that had you know Jonathan Taylor coming off the board in round number two. DeAndre Swift was there as well. Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon, a lot of guys that, that made an impact there um, you know, on day two of the draft. And then in, in 2021, obviously, we had Najee Harris and uh, you know, tra- uh, Travis Etienne. Haven't gotten to see Travis Etienne play yet, um, but you know, we got to see you know Javante Williams. We got to see Trey Sermon a little bit there with the Niners, Michael Carter with the Jets, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, you know, Looking like a, a power back there for the Patriots. Chuba Hubbard got to fill in for uh, Christian McCaffrey there uh, in, in Carolina. Obviously, you know, Elijah Mitchell was a find there in round number six coming out of uh, Louisiana Lafayette uh, for the 49ers. You know, the last time we actually didn't have a running back taken in round number one, that was a draft when Bishop Sankey was the number one running back taken in, uh, in round number two back in 2014. So... The top running backs in this year's draft class, when you're talking about it, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, Isaiah Spiller, they're guys that we can be talking about as potential first-rounders. I think we're just deep in other positions. When you're talking about you know, the number of edge rushers, offensive tackles, receivers, you know, those positions by themselves are going to take up the majority of round number one. So just because we may not have a running back go in round number one doesn't mean we don't have a deep draft class when it comes to running backs. Um, you know, I, I think there's a chance that Brees Hall, uh, I really see him as the only running back potentially getting into round number one. This is a guy who could be a bell cow. I, I think this is a guy who, who can run between the tackles um, you know, with, with physicality, but you also love the vision. You love his ability to make guys miss in the hole, the stop and start ability as well. And then he has that home run speed, that 4.3940 at the combine, 40-inch vertical leap, and then the hands. A guy who just makes absolute, just spectacular catches, one-handed catches down the sideline. Uh, 5'11", 217. He's a you know has really good size as well. Uh, to me, I think Brees Hall 
could potentially be the Bills' target there at, at number 25. Tampa Bay as well. You know, I think Tampa Bay needs to go guard uh, to replace uh, Ali Marpet. You know, the retired Ali Marpet. They do have uh, Shaq Mason in there, but you know, Aaron Stinney isn't going to get it done. I think they do need to target uh, you know Ken Young Green, but. There are guys in round two, whether it's Sean Ryan or Darian Kennard. You get Brees Hall, who ends up taking the place of Ronald Jones, who's now in KC. You've got Giovanni Bernard. You've got Keyshawn Vaughn. Leonard Fournette is back. You know, that really solidifies that running back class. So there, there's, a, there's a chance that Brees Hall could end up being uh, taken in round number one. But I ultimately have him coming off the board in round two. And I really like the fit. I have him going to the Giants. And here's why. I know that they just picked him Matt Breda. And look, you know, I, I like Matt Breda. You know, I think he's you know the nice veteran presence there at that running back position. But look, you know, Saquon Barkley, they've talked about potentially trading him at some point. This is a guy who, you know, durability has definitely been a concern. You bring in Brees Hall. He has the versatility. This is a guy who can come in and, and spell Saquon Barkley. And ultimately, if you're looking to trade Saquon Barkley, there's a chance that Brees Hall could end up shining for your team as well. Uh, and so I, I look at Brees Hall as a guy, if you're going to be looking to, to shop Saquon and potentially move on from him, then I think Brees Hall would be a nice guy that would slide into that role. Uh, makes a lot of sense for me. Uh, the number two running back in the class, I, I think, has to be Kenneth Walker, right? You know, this is a guy who, who, look, he started out his career at Wake Forest, and he was really a mid to late round pick. I think nobody really had him on the radar, um, you know, until maybe round five, likely coming off the board uh, in that fifth, sixth, seventh round range, and then ultimately decides he's going to be a grad transfer, um, and you know, picks up the phone, talks to. Uh, Mel, T uh, Mel Tucker, um, I think the, the story goes, I think Fox Sports reported that you know, he didn't even step onto campus there uh, before ultimately committing to, to Michigan State. Ends up rushing for 1,636 yards, 18 touchdowns, 6.2 yards per carry, um, sixth in the Heisman voting, just blew up and, and was really you know the, the, the key cog there for that Spartan offense. And, and what I love about uh, Kenneth Walker is that contact balance, man. This is a guy who just the, the body control and, and the balance. He just is able to, you know, slip tackles and, and bounce off of guys and continue to go for extra yards. The vision, you know, you see the cutback ability. Ran a 4.3840, much faster than I think people were expecting because they weren't really seeing him take the top off of a defense. 5.9211. When, when I look at Kenneth Walker, if Tampa doesn't go with with Brees Hall. In round number one, I think Tampa could potentially go with with Kenneth Walker in round number two. You know, I think that's a good another running back that would be a nice fit for them. Um, but you know, and obviously the Bills as well. But I think the Bills may go receiver in round two. John Mechie just seems to be calling my name for the Bills, um, so I, I think that makes a lot of sense there as well. So how about the Denver Broncos? You know, and I know Denver they are they've already taken Javante Williams, but. Melvin Gordon is a free agent, and you need to get another back into that group. Um, I, I like Javante, you know, but I, I think he works best um, in that shared backfield. He did that with Michael Carter. You have a one-two punch there with Javante Williams and Kenneth Walker. You know, I think that really gives 
that 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 group there for for Russell Wilson. You've got a solid uh, running game. Nathaniel Hackett can really start building upon that that group with uh, that two-headed monster uh, in the backfield, especially with an offensive line that's ready tailor-made for that, that ground game so I, I think you know Kenneth Walker will make a lot of sense there to Denver at the end of round number two uh, number 64 overall and then when you look at round three I think this is where you start to get a, a few more running backs coming off the board Isaiah Spiller uh, one of the top three in terms of broken tackles and 10 plus um, yard runs in, in uh 2021 and with Isaiah Spiller look he he was another guy who got to share the backfield only 179 carries in 2021 shared the backfield with uh, you know Anias uh, Smith and uh, Devin A. Shane um, when you look at him though back-to-back thousand yard seasons also uh, 74 receptions in three seasons with the Aggies so he's got good hands coming out of the backfield can be physical between the tackles has good speed uh, getting on the outside as well and so when I look at Isaiah Spiller he could potentially be a guy that can come off the board in round number two but I think really the sweet spot for him is going to be round three and uh, you know I, I went back and forth with where I was going to stick him but ultimately I'm looking at Houston there uh, potentially at uh, at 68 but I think more than likely he's going to come off the board at, at number 80 if Houston's going to end up going after him and, and the reason why I like him going to Houston because there's a lot of uncertainty at the position David Johnson is a free agent looks like he's not coming back I don't know I mean but they, they brought in Marlon Mack and I know Marlon Mack has had you know his share of you know ups and downs a thousand yard rusher but also has battled some injuries uh, and then you have you know Dario Gumbawale, Rex Burkhead, Royce Freeman you've got some veterans there that can carry some of that load but really what I want to see is is get a running back in there who is versatile uh, a, a guy who could ultimately take the reins and, and be that number two running back to Mar- Marlon Mack and I think you know, Isaiah Spiller can be that guy. I, I really don't see Rex Burkhead or Ogumawale or Freeman being the guy that would step in in the event Marlon Mack has an injury. Isaiah Spiller could absolutely be that guy in his stead. So after Isaiah Spiller, then I think the next guy off, off the board is going to be James Cook. Uh, and James Cook out of Georgia. And he just reminds you a lot of his brother. You know, he he, he has similar measurables, um, not quite the prospect that his brother was coming out of uh, coming out of college. But you know, what I love about James Cook is it seemed like every time he touched the football there for the Bulldogs, uh, there was some excitement. And that's really when you're looking for for running backs. For me, you know, he may not be the number one guy. But when he gets into a game, is he a guy that could potentially be a difference maker? And I thought he was absolutely that. Georgia, they, they have that running back by committee, but you just you loved watching him play. Average 6.5 yards per carry in his career with the Bulldogs. 67 receptions as well, including 27 this past season. Had 10.9 yards per reception in his career. Uh, you know, he, He's just a guy who has tremendous speed on the outside, tremendous vision as well. Ran a 4.4240 at 5.11, 199. And when I, when I look at James Cook, obviously third round feels like the sweet spot. I think this is where Buffalo should pull the tr- pull the trigger at number 89 overall. They could get the running back in there uh, to pair with Devin Singletary, and so you get another guy who can catch the football out of the backfield. Zach Moss is kind of your bruiser, but uh, you know you lose Matt Breda, and so I, I think what you do is you get this guy in here, and uh, it can be that nice change of pace. You know, a little bit more of excitement there. 
to pair with, with Devin Singletary. I think it'd be really interesting there for Buffalo uh, in round number three if they went after James Cook. Uh, and so then after that, who's the other running backs that, that you're going to see coming off the board there? I've got Jerome Ford out of Cincinnati, and uh, I've got him going to, to Miami. And so when you look at Miami and you talk about the running backs, they've got Chase, Chase Edmonds, they've got Raheem Mostert. But after that, Miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed, I don't think are really the answer there uh, as that number three running back. And really, are you going to take a number three running back in round number three if you're uh, the Miami Dolphins? I think what Miami did this offseason, they targeted a lot of positions uh, of need. You know, they brought in Connor Williams to play guard. Uh, they drafted a couple of, or they brought in a couple of running backs. They get Alec Ingold. They bring in both Tyreek Hill and Cedric Wilson at receiver. Teddy Bridgewater there at, at quarterback. You know, I think defensively, they're, they're probably going to be targeting a couple of guys as well. They were able to bring back Emmanuel Ogba and Landon Roberts. Um, but I, I think getting another playmaker, you know, and that's really what we're talking about here. That's why you bring in a guy like Tyreek Hill. You need playmakers for Tua. And I look at Jerome Ford as a guy that's absolutely able to do that. We saw him elevate his game as a receiver. 21 receptions this past year, over 1,300 yards on the ground, 19 touchdowns. And he was a guy, every time he touched the football, he had a chance to go the distance. And he was one of those guys who just, he made the game a lot easier for Desmond Ritter. And so if you're looking for guys who's going to make make things a lot easier for Tua, I think Jerome Ford is going to be one of those guys. I think he'll fit in well in that running back room as well um, and ultimately end up being that number three running back behind Edmonds and Mostert uh, there for the Dolphins. So we've got one more for you, and I'm looking at KC, and uh, I'm looking at, you know, what what is KC going to do? Because you have Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and you have Ronald Jones that you brought in from Tampa. Jarek McKinnon's out. Daryl Williams is out. This is a team that has, you know, had I don't know how many running backs in that 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 uh, running back room. Really, a running back by committee, so they're not afraid to bring in another guy. And what I'm looking at is, is okay, you've got Edwards Alaire and you've got Ronald Jones. I think what you need is a guy that's going to be physical, a guy that that's going to get you some of those tough yards between the tackle, a bowling ball type of a presence. And it, when I mention bowling ball, I think you have to think of Damian Pierce out of Florida, 5'10", 218 pounds. Yes, he ran a 4 5 9 40, but you're not expecting him to be that burner. He does have some explosiveness in his legs. 34 and a half inch vertical leap. You know, they, they said that he, he was able to jump uh, 37 feet as well. Bench press two, uh, 225, 21 times at the combine. So he definitely has that, that power. But you know what you loved about him was the lateral quickness for a guy his size. You know, he's just a bowling ball, a guy that's gonna you know bounce off of tackles and you know, frankly, you know, Florida, I would have loved to have seen him use a lot more. He only got 100 carries, but 574 yards, 5.7 yards per carry, 13 touchdowns there for the Gators. I think he's going to be a better pro. I think he's a guy that's going to come in there and really be that nice change of pace for KC with, with uh, Edwards Alaire and Ronald Jones II. You bring in this third running back, and I think he'll be a guy that's going to be able to start wearing down some defenses late in games. So when you're talking about that running back spot, I've got six coming off the board on day two. So then you're looking at day three and what does that really look like? Um, you know, I actually think that, that day three and that fourth, fifth round is really going to be, uh, again, you know, th that sweet spot for that running back position. And so Brian Johnson Jr. out of Alabama. This is a guy, look, he sat behind a lot of running backs from, from Josh Jacobs and Najee Harris. 
finally got his chance, and man, he, he delivered. You know, this was a, a guy. He's not you know as flashy as Najee Harris. He's not going to jump over Nick McLeod or anything like that. But he's going to give you a lot of those hard-earned runs. And, and this is a guy. Look, when you needed to wear down teams, you know, look at Cincinnati. You know, they they really just wore them down, and they just handed the ball off to Brian Robinson and let him go. And that's one of the things that I thought was really a lot of fun watching him play was this was a dude, you know, he stuck it out there at Bama and was rewarded for for that hard work. Uh, You know, over 1,300 yards on the ground, 14 touchdowns, but look, 35 receptions. I think that's one of the things that was really underrated about him was that he was able to catch the football out of the backfield for, uh, for Bama. And so when I'm looking at Atlanta, I bring in Damian Williams, uh, but you have Cordero Patterson, the running back, receiver, do-everything guy. You've got Mike Davis. But I, I think getting a big bowling ball type of a back, a guy like Brian Robinson, you know, nobody in that backfield is 6'1 and 228 pounds, a lot like, like Robinson is. I think Robinson coming into this group, you know, he ran a 4-5-3-40, has some decent explosiveness, but this is a guy that's going to give you some of those tough yards between the tackles. Round four feels like a right fit for him, and uh, I think Atlanta will be a nice fit for Brian Robinson. Moving down just a couple of spots, you look at the Jets. Jets could use uh, another power back as well. Uh, when you look at, at that, that backfield, you've got uh, you know Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, but they need another back in there. And I, I think the Jets could easily target James Cook. Uh, they could easily target Damian Pierce. But I've got a guy for them in, in Tyler Algier. And Tyler Algier, look, he's 5'11 and 224 pounds. Um, he's big. He's physical. Uh, you know, over 2,700 yards on the ground, 42 receptions in his career. Uh, you know, a guy that he doesn't ha- he doesn't take the top off of a defense with the speed, but he has underrated speed. I think this is a guy though. The contact balance, his ability to run over guys and make you know just continue to drive for those extra yards. A guy that can that can get into the secondary and make a guy miss or two and be able to bust off some some big runs. You know, this is a guy who, you know, there were times where BYU needed him to take over games and he was able to do that. And so I look at the Jets, they need a bigger running back in that that running back room and I think Tyler Algier would be that guy uh, to really be able to bring that home for the Jets. Um, and then when you're, you're moving further down that fourth round, um, you know, I'm looking at Tampa Bay. And I mentioned them earlier, potentially targeting a running back at some point. Rashad White, out of Arizona State. He's six foot, 214 pounds, a one-cut-and-go type of running back. Uh, and this was a guy, look, he, he shared the backfield with, with Chip Trianum. Um, but, man, and really, he, a lot of his runs were, were taken away by, by Jalen Daniels doing a lot of what he was doing in, in the uh, under center there for uh, the Sun Devils. But just 182 carries had a thousand yards 15 touchdowns 43 receptions though this is a dude who has tremendous hands actually averaged 18.9 yards per reception as a junior in 2020 um, you know but he has tremendous hands you know a guy that you know if I'm looking at Tampa I want to bring in a guy that is going to be explosive in the passing game Rashad White's going to be my guy you know and this is a guy that as well like I was saying you, know, you get him in a zone blocking scheme 
and allow him to make a you know one cut and go and be able to get vertical and, and get down the field. Um, you know, Tampa, I, I think you know they can get creative with with Rashad White. You can line him up in the slot as a receiver. Um, a lot of different things. You know, he can run between the tackles as well. Um, kind of an upright running style. But one of the guys that I, I've really uh, I'm looking forward to see play at the next level. He's one of my favorite running backs. Ran a 4.4840. This is a dude who you know can squat 500 pounds as well. 38-inch vertical leap, so you know that he has that lower body explosiveness. And so I think fourth round, Tampa Bay just feels like a right fit scheme-wise. And uh, you know it'd be interesting to see how things go from there. Um, when I'm looking at Baltimore at 139. And this is going to sound kind of weird because it seems like they have a ton of people in the backfield already. But I'm looking at Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame. He's 5'9", 194 pounds, the junior. You know, this is a guy who had a tremendous, tremendous season, right? And so you're expecting big things when he comes to the combine. You know, over 1,000 yards for the second consecutive year, 27 touchdowns, 78 receptions, a guy that was just dynamic, uh, both between the tackles and on the outside, shows up at the combine and runs a disappointing 40 time, right? Ends up running that at 4.65 and didn't do much better at Notre Dame's Pro Day. So you worry about some of that explosiveness, but I, I love his versatility. You know, I love his ability to uh, make plays after the catch as well. And when you look at, at, at that running back group, you've got J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, you know, Tyson Williams was able to fit in there. Justice Hill, really don't know what's happening with him. But I think if you bring in Kyron Williams to the mix, you know, you'll add another receiving element in that running back group. And I think ultimately he's a guy that could end up making that roster uh, there in round number four. Um, he could potentially fall. You know, I, I think I've, I've seen where he could fall to as, as low as, as the sixth round possibly. Um, but I just, I, I think, you know, Baltimore, if they're looking for another running back, you know, Kyron Williams will make a lot of sense. And then the Rams at 142. Pierre Strong out of South Dakota State, 5'11", 207, one of the more underrated running backs in this draft class. Ran a 4'3", at the Combine. Speed absolutely on display. You see him take the top off of a defense, running away from guys there with the Jackrabbits, and you're wondering, well, is he just playing against inferior competition? Shows up at the East-West Shrine game and has a tremendous day there as well, showing that he's able to do that against some of the top-notch guys. Um... At the FBS level, I think if you're looking, if you're the Rams, you've got to be looking for another running back, right? I mean, you've got Cam Akers, you've got Daryl Henderson, but Sony Michelle is a free agent. You want to find a guy that can do some of the same things that Sony Michelle is able to do. And frankly, I look at Pierre Strong. I think he could absolutely come in there and fill that void for the Rams. And I think at the end of round number four, that, that's a perfect time to to pull the trigger on on him. So. Moving on to round number five, Hassan Haskins out of Michigan. I, I think this is where we can definitely see him coming off the board. You know, a big physical presence there in the running game, right? Um, and I think that's that's ultimately what spoke to me. 6'2", 228 pounds, and I'm looking at you, Jacksonville, as a potential uh, destination for Hassan Haskins. Why? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. You've got James Robinson, who, who's been your workhorse to this point. You've got Travis Etienne, who's going to be more of your, your versatile guy, a versatile weapon, a guy that you're going to get out on the edge. 
get the football too in the passing game. But I think what you're lacking is really a guy that's going to be that physical presence in the running game. Hassan Haskins is absolutely that guy. I mean, that was one of the things that Jim Harbaugh uh, wanted to do at Michigan was to, to be the bully. You know, they had that physical offensive line, and uh, you've got Hassan Haskins running behind that group, um, over 1,300 yards on the ground, 20 touchdowns. Yes, he only had 4.9 yards per carry, which wasn't as explosive as some of these other guys, but this dude, man, you talk about the leg drive, you talk about the physicality with you know, with, with he runs. You know, he's not going to run away from you, and, and that's okay. That's not what he's going to be asked for. You know, that's, not, that's ultimately going to be ETN's game. But I think with Haskins... The physicality is absolutely there. Look, he, he bench-pressed 225 27 times. You know, repped that out, made it look easy. I think Haskins to the Jags makes a lot of sense for me there in round number five. After that, looking at it, I'm looking at Tyler Beatty out of, out of Missouri. I, I had him coming off the board earlier at one point and ultimately kind of had to move, my, uh, move things around a little bit. And uh, ultimately, I have him coming off the board to the San Francisco 49ers. And here's why. Raheem Mostert is gone. Jeffrey Wilson, a free agent. You have Elijah Mitchell, and you have Jamichael Hasey that you re-signed. You have uh, you know, Trey Sermon, the big physical back. But I think when you lose Mostert, a guy that can be a weapon um, you know, on the perimeter, a guy that is sneaky between the tackles, uh, can make some plays in, in the passing game as well. And ultimately, when I look at Tyler Beatty, this is a guy, look, at Missouri, uh, was incredibly productive uh, in that offense. Only two lost fumbles in 513 carries as well, which was a, a stat that I thought was was staggering. But this was a guy who, against, you know, he's playing for Missouri that struggled at times. You know, Eli Drinkwitz really trying to change the uh, the culture there for Mizzou. But uh, man, he, he's going up against SEC defenses and rushed for over 1,600 yards. 14 touchdowns, 54 receptions. This is a dude who had 126 receptions in his four years there with the Tigers. He's elusive in the open field. He's electric when he gets out in uh, in space. And uh, ran a 4-4-5-40 at the combine. I look at him. I think that'd be a perfect replacement. Just fit him right in there for the 49ers. Makes a lot of sense to me there in round number five. And at the end of round five, I'm looking at Zamir White. And this was a guy who I thought you know, was kind of overshadowed at times because of that excitement and the juice that James Cook brought. But you know, he was a physical presence there in the, the backfield for Georgia. And you know, that's one of the things that I think kind of jumped out to me anytime I watched Georgia play. Uh, you know, six foot, 215 pounds. Um, he was actually a lot faster than I was expecting him to run. Ran a 4-4-40. Um, you know, so you love the physicality, has that speed to go along with it. And, you know, at the end of round five, I'm looking at Detroit. And I know their number one running back, also Georgia Bulldog and DeAndre Swift, but he's battled some injuries. And uh, you have Jamal Williams in the backfield as well. But I think you get one more running back, a guy that can be physical, a guy that's going to be able to bring a couple of different dimensions to that running game. Um, I think that really solidifies the group and really brings things along. Look, in round number five, I think it makes a lot of sense for, for Detroit to go ahead and target that running back, get that third back in there, especially if DeAndre Swift is battling injuries again. He'd be a nice one-two combo there with Jamal Williams as well. And it, look, if DeAndre Swift is healthy, that just gives you more power in that backfield that you can ultimately you know, uh, option to if you need to. So now we move on to round number six. And uh, I only have two running backs coming off the board in round six. And um, 
you know, not that's usually around where you're going to see a lot of running backs taken. Last year, we actually saw six running backs come off the board in round six. Ironically enough, in 2020, no running backs came off the board in round number six. So it's one of those things to where you know I think the sweet spot for this draft is is in rounds three to five. Um, that makes the most sense for this running back group. But I think there's still some guys, some weapons that you can end up getting uh, later on in this draft. And, and I think for Arizona, Ty Chandler makes a lot of sense to me. 5'11", 204. This was a guy who I thought, you know, at Tennessee, I, I didn't see a lot uh, to his game. A, a guy that I thought was going to be, you know, uh, possibly, you know, a, a, an undrafted free agent. I, I just I didn't really like his game a whole lot. You know, you lose Chase Edmonds. You do have James Conner back. Uh, he resigned. You've got Eno Benjamin in that backfield, but they need another running back. I think Arizona could potentially target Jerome Ford uh, earlier in the draft. I, I think Kyron Williams is another running back that makes a lot of sense. Um, but if they're going to ultimately target a running back in round number six, then Ty Chandler is a guy that you could absolutely go for because. You know what I, I I liked what he was able to do there at UNC, um, you know, over a thousand yards on the ground, um, six six yards per carry, thirteen touchdowns. The guy who also has seventy three receptions in his career, so he has some versatility to his game. But uh, I think really what what surprised me was at the combine. This guy has a lot more speed than you were expecting. Four three eight forty. So a guy that when you get him into space is going to be able to eat up yards and eat up some of those chunks of yardage. And so when I look at Arizona, you know, you need some speed there in the backfield. And I think that uh, Ty Chandler can absolutely bring that to that, uh, to that group. End of round six, Devonte Price, Florida International. 6'1", 215 pounds, durable at the running back spot. You know, this is a guy, when you look at his stats, you know, they, they don't wow you. 2,200 yards on the ground, 15 touchdowns, 45 receptions in his career. But you really had to get in and watch this guy play because 65-yard touchdown runs like they were easy for this guy. And really, what you saw at the Combine, just check that box there in terms of the, the speed and the ability on the outside. Run that 4-3-8-40. It has kind of an upright running style, I, I think. But a guy who I think can absolutely be explosive, has some of that lateral agility as well to make him miss in the open field. But man, he's got that gear. Let him turn it loose and, and get vertical down the football field. And, uh, you know, so for me, sixth round towards the end of that round makes a lot of sense for Devontae Price. And ultimately, I have him going to Tennessee. Tennessee, look, we know that. Derrick Henry was the guy. He was kind of carrying the load there for that franchise. He goes down to injury, and they really struggle to move the football. You know, Deontay Foreman, Darrington Evans, both gone. So your backup running backs right now are Dontrell Hilliard and Trenton Cannon. You know, ultimately, I think you're going to need to get another running back into that group. Tennessee could easily take a running back earlier in the draft, but if they wait until round number six, you pair up Devontae Price with Derrick Henry, you've got the physicality of Derrick Henry, and then you get some of that speed with Devontae Price. I'd like that one-two combination. It would make things really interesting there in Tennessee. The depth of the running back class continues into round number seven. You have another four running backs coming off the board. And when I look at the draft class, you know, I'm looking at Jerion Ely, and this is a guy who I think was kind of one of the forgotten players. People 
initially we're talking about Jerion Ely as one of the better backs in this draft class, top 10 in, in everybody's rankings, including mine. 5'8", 189 there out of Mississippi. I think everyone was expecting him to really take the leap, and, and we just didn't see that. You know, He was battling some of the injuries, so you wonder if maybe Jerion Ely is going to, you know, is he going to be a better pro than, than he was in, in college this last season? Um, you know, over 2,200 yards on the ground in three seasons there at Ole Miss, 20 touchdowns, also 67 receptions, so he can be a dynamic receiver out of the backfield. Uh, you know, he shows up at the combine, and uh, I think everyone was expecting big things from him in terms of the speed. Only runs a 4.5240, which was really surprising for a guy who was as shifty as he is. Quicker than he is fast is really kind of what I see with him. That's what I've written down for uh, Jerion Ely, so that's why he falls all the way to round number seven. Some people have him as an undrafted free agent. I think he ends up getting drafted. I'm looking at Cincinnati, and I think Cincinnati could use another another back into that group uh, to challenge Joe Mixon, Samaje Pirine, and Chris Evans, uh, really moving that football uh, in that ground game. And I think you know Jerion Ely brings a, a dynamic there. Pirine, Evans, not much of a factor in the passing game. Their, their physical presence in the ground game, but not so much in the passing game. I think that's where Jerion Ely could potentially stick with Cincinnati. Later on in round number seven, number 236 overall, I'm looking at the Chargers and Abram Smith out of Baylor. And this is really an interesting story. Starts his career with the Bears at running back, ultimately asked to play linebacker in his junior season, 48 tackles, five going for loss, had a sack as well. Then ultimately, they move him to the other side of the football, and he and Tristan Ebner were going to be the one-two punch there at the running back spot. And this dude just goes off. Over 1,600 yards on the ground, 6.2 yards per carry, 12 touchdowns, also had 13 receptions. Really, Ebner was more of the receiving threat. But this guy, between the tackles, physicality, a guy that brought that linebacker mentality to the running back position. So you saw the physicality there. Uh, tremendous athlete. I mean, a guy, you know, the versatility obviously speaks for itself. Um, you know, just a physical presence as one of those bigger running backs. And so when I look at the, the Chargers and I'm talking about their game, Obviously, we know that Austin Eckler is going to be their starter. Smaller guy. You've got Joshua Kelly. There is Larry Roundtree there as well. You lost uh, Justin Jackson. He's you know was a free agent. And so when I'm looking at that back backfield, what they don't have is a physical presence. And I think that's really what Abram Smith can bring it bring to the table. I think he also you know because you did see him in, in Tristan Ebner, I think he could end up bringing a little bit of the blocking to that group as well. If you wanted to have a two running back set, you could do that and have uh, Abram Smith do a little bit of lead blocking for, uh, you know, Austin Eckler. Um, you know, so I think that makes a lot of sense there for, for the Chargers towards the end of round number seven. Uh, you know, Kennedy Brooks is another name. You know, I think could potentially come off the board as high as the fifth round. Uh, a guy who was tremendously durable there for Oklahoma, sat out 2020 due to COVID, but still had back-to-back-to-back uh, 1,000-yard seasons for the Sooners, 5'11", 209. Man, Lincoln Riley ran that counter where they pulled the guard and the tackle around, and Kennedy Brooks did such a great job cutting off of those blocks. Uh, the vision was exceptional. Doesn't have the breakaway speed that you'd like to see. Ran only a 4.5940 at the combine, so you know that really matches what you saw on on film 
but this is a guy again who is going to continue to to grind and continue to work for those extra yards a guy who has uh, a pretty good burst good lateral quickness to make get his foot in the ground make that cut and then that acceleration may not have the fastest top end speed but the acceleration to get to his top end speed is pretty quick so a guy that's going to be able to bust off 15 20 yard runs for you and i'm looking at pittsburgh they have Najee harris i know that there's anthony mcfarland and benny snell jr there but i think they need another running back that can really push that group behind Najee harris and i think Kennedy Brooks is one of those guys that can actually bring that to the table. Um, so I, I like that fit there for, for Pittsburgh. And then my final running back coming off the board, number 249 overall to the Green Bay Packers, Sincere McCormick out of UTSA. 5'8", 205, you know, just a little ball of energy there for, for the Roadrunners, a guy that they really relied on um, and was a big part of that offense. And if you didn't get to watch UTSA, um, Sincere McCormick really was a lot of fun to watch. Back-to-back 1,400-yard seasons, uh, 34 touchdowns in his career, also 66 receptions, a dynamic presence, not the fastest guy, another guy who's quicker and shiftier than he is fast, ran a 4.640 at the Combine. But look, this is a dude who... He's, he's a savvy savvy runner, a guy that's going to make plays in the open field, especially as a receiver, and I think he has a chance to stick. And I'm looking at Green Bay, and the reason why I have him targeted with the Packers is the Packers ultimately, they, they look at that running back group, and they've got Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon as the backup, but the health of of Kyron Hill is, is kind of in question right now. I think getting another running back into that group really push for playing time, as that number three back and a guy that can be a weapon in the passing game. I think Sincere McCormick uh, could be that guy for Green Bay. Look, the Packers have a lot of picks, and ultimately I think what makes sense is targeting a lot of positions, get additional weapons for Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, we know they're going to be going after receiver, hot and heavy. I think the running back position could be another group you know, that they could target to add additional weapons in the passing game, and Sincere McCormick absolutely fits that bill. So if you're scoring at home from a running back perspective, that's 20 running backs taken. Six in the first two days of the draft, really all in the second and third round. But then you have another 14 that come off the board in the fourth through seventh rounds. And uh, we actually had 20 running backs come off the board in 2021. And what's interesting is you have four running backs come off the board in the first two days of the draft, two of those being Harris and Etienne in round number one. And... and Look, you know we've we've mentioned the running backs that can come off the board uh, later on in a draft and be difference makers. Just because we don't have a running back coming off the board in round number one doesn't mean they're, they're not going to be difference makers. From you know Jonathan uh, Taylor to to J.K. Dobbins to uh, David Montgomery to Devin Singletary. Now, there are a lot of guys who come off the board uh, on day two of the draft. Or look at Elijah Mitchell coming off the board on day three of the draft and there are guys that can make a difference and make an impact and that's why I think teams aren't necessarily going to target a running back early on in this draft um, I think day two is really where we start picking things up and then as we get into you know late day two getting into that day three time frame and then the fourth fifth round that's where we're going to start getting into the sweet spot of this running back class there are some guys that ultimately could still hear their name called in this draft class. I think Isaiah Pacheco there out of Rutgers is a guy 
you know, I think if nothing else, it's kind of hard not to target a guy who ran a 4-3-7-40. Um, so I think he's a guy that you have to look at. Um, I like Keontae Ingram out of USC. Versatile, six foot two twenty one, ran that 4-5-3-40. But look, you know, 86 receptions in his career. You see the vision um, and the ability to put his foot in the ground and, and hit those cutback lanes. I like him. Uh, you know, started his career there at Texas, finished it off there at USC, and uh, you know, guy's a gamer, a guy that you know I, I think has a lot of talent. And then Ronnie Rivers out of out of Fresno State. This guy is interesting. Look, he's only five seven and a half, 195 pounds, ran a four six forty. But the dude had 150 receptions. You know, good bloodlines. You know, his dad, Ron Rivers, played with the Lions. But I think Ronnie Rivers is going to get a chance at the next level. Um, probably not going to get drafted. Probably going to end up being an undrafted free agent. But I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up making an NFL roster. You know, a guy that you know not only at, you know, was a starter there at running back for the Bulldogs, but tremendous receiver, as I mentioned. Um, also a guy that, that shiftiness in the return game as well. I like Ronnie Rivers to end up making a team, uh, likely as a uh, practice squad guy, but someone who I think has a chance to really stick with an NFL roster because of the versatility, especially in that passing game. So running backs and quarterbacks are in the books. We'll be taking a look at the receivers and the tight ends tomorrow. As I promised, we'll be doing another podcast tomorrow. I'll get that released as well. Um, when you're looking at it, obviously the receiving class, you've got six, seven receivers that can come off the board in round one, which would be absolutely ridiculous. Although we did have six receivers come off the board in 2020. Um, so we'll, we'll take a look at what that looks like. We expected to see seven, eight receivers come off the board uh, a season ago, and uh, we only ended up seeing five with uh, Elijah Moore and Rondale Moore, who were in a lot of mock drafts in round number one, ultimately falling to day two. Uh, could that be the same with guys like Christian Watson, possibly even Jahan Dotson? I don't know that that's necessarily the case um, because there are so many teams that need quality receivers. So we'll be talking about that. And then obviously that tight end position, that tight end class is deep, not really at the top. You know, and that's one of the things. Trey McBride, could he sneak into round one? Some drafts, possibly, but not this draft. You know, I, He's going to end up being a day two guy. He'll likely come off the board in the second round. I've got him going to Washington, um, but you know, you've got a lot of other guys, third, fourth, fifth round, um, even into the sixth round. You know, There's really a lot of guys that you know are going to hear their name called in that group uh, late day two and all the way through day number three in the tight end class. Uh, very deep group and, and a lot of guys that are going to be playing at the next level for a long time. And then obviously, you know, we're also going to be talking about the guys that are the fullback, H-back, tight end combos. You know, guys that can, you know, the versatility, wear a lot of hats, you know, and I'm talking about Jeremiah Hall and, and Connor Hayward. We'll include them in the group with the tight ends. So hope you tune in tomorrow. We'll have another podcast that we'll be releasing talking about receivers and tight ends. So until then, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Make sure you check out readyforthedraft.com. I'm going to get my seven-round mock draft up in the next day or two. I'll let you know when it drops so you can go ahead and check out all 262 picks. Until next time, everyone, take care, and I am out of here.